Life is about attaining different goals, including financial ones. Whether it's saving for your first home, first car, your family, or retirement, you need to know how to get there. Welcome to All About Goals with host Tom White. Join Tom and his guest experts who will help you get there faster and the right way. Now, here is Tom White. Hello. Welcome to the All About Goals radio show. I'm your host, Tom White. Uh, today, uh, we're going to continue what uh, we, we started last week. This will be part two of our series, All About Investing. And uh, we're going to cover investing in IPOs or initial public offerings. Uh, this is when a private company goes public to where uh, its shares can be uh, readily uh, purchased and owned by the general public. Uh, and so this is uh, uh, something that if, if you're learning to invest and also you know, have been investing in a while and, and maybe never uh, had an opportunity or really looked into investing in IPOs, um, it's becoming more common and is something that need, you know, investors need to learn uh, how to do this properly. Otherwise, uh, uh, you know, it uh, certainly can, can be a major detractor to returns uh, because it's, it's a specific event that's hyped up a lot. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people hear about it and have always wondered, you know, how do I participate? And depending on, you know, what, what, brokerage firm, what company you use for investing, uh, you may have a, a, an opportunity to participate with a specific company's IPO, depending on who's underwriting it. And so, uh, but it is becoming more, uh, more accessible. Uh, before, uh, used to be only uh, the, you know, the syndicates, the, the companies that are underwriting the, the IPOs, as well as obviously the employees of the company going public and its executives and so on and, and you know, the private investors. But, uh, you know, let me, let me uh, uh, dispel a myth, a common myth about IPOs, which is that not all IPOs make money for investors, uh, especially uh, in the short term where, you know, the, the kind of common idea of investing in IPO is that you're, you participate in it. And then, you know, in the first day or two, then you sell it for that short-term gain because of all of the demand and hype surrounded around that event. Uh, so, you know, there are many examples of companies that don't necessarily uh, uh, meet those criterias and, and, and provide that immediate return to investors. Uh, go, Probably one that uh, people remember, and this has been pretty much a two, almost 10 years ago now, uh, Groupon. Groupon is a company that uh, would, would put together deals uh, for, for consumers uh, uh, to get discounts on certain things, items or events, if there are enough people that pull together and get you know, a group discount. That's why it's called Groupon. Well, they went public uh, back in 2011 and even today, uh, 10 years later, you know, that stock is down over 90% from its IPO. So the people that initially invested in that you know, still haven't made money unless you've been buying down. Uh, but that's, that's quite a bit to buy down uh, through that time. Another uh, example would be uh, Zynga, uh, the online kind of gaming company. Uh, I think uh, they're, they're known for, uh, was it, uh, um, uh, many different types of apps, uh, online apps. 
uh, Words with Friends, maybe one of them. And, you know, they went public in 2011 as well. And only late last year where they finally, was the stock price finally in the positive uh, where investors, if they sold, uh, could see that. But that's, that's a long time to hold uh, for, for a pretty short uh, uh, gain. So the annual return on that is not all that good. And then as recent as uh, 2019, Smile Direct Club went public, which uh, you've probably seen a lot of its uh, commercials. And currently they're from the IPO, they're still down over 35%. Uh, not to say that uh, if they had, if investor had bought down, uh, they, they could be uh, in the positive now. So simply to dispel the myth that you know, not all IPOs, uh, you know, make money for investors, uh, particularly in the short term. And obviously, there are some examples of long term as well. And so, you know, there are specific characteristics an investor should look for uh, in an IPO in participating in it. Uh, one is that it's a company that's essentially a category creator. Uh, you know, it's, it's a company that has created, uh, you know, a new whether business model, not just a new product, but a new way to make money, um, and is you know is the leader in in that particular industry. Maybe a very young industry, if not even maybe the the sole player in that industry. You know, an example uh, would have been uh, Google when they went uh, public back in two thousand and four. And not not to say they were the only search engine, because uh, you obviously had Yahoo, you you had uh, several others. But in terms of, you know, when they went public, they were very much the leader uh, and they were part of that, you know, that wave of, of search at the time. And there are other characteristics as well that Google very much uh, uh, fits in for what I would say would be you know, things that investors should look for in an IPO characteristics. The second is, is brand name recognition already when it goes public. Uh, so they've, you know, they've built up that brand name, uh, if not even obviously, you know, grabbed market share, if not even being the leader at the time they go public. So brand name is key because that'll help drive as well recognition uh, for investors that now have an opportunity to purchase its, its stock. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's not a lot of hype needed uh, uh, to, you know, to generate interest for an IPO when Google went public. Um, and then uh, same thing with Facebook. When Facebook went public, uh, uh, you know, category creator for social media. Uh, there weren't a lot of other companies uh, uh, that were successful in going public um, within that specific, you know, industry, um, social media at the time. And so, you know, brand name as well. Everybody already knew Facebook at the time uh, when it went public. And then also the fact that it was the leader uh, in that category. And then the, uh, the fourth, uh, third being lar uh, a large market share already when going public. The fourth is profitability. Ideally, you want to invest in uh, companies going public that are already profitable, if not even have had a uh, uh, track record of profitability. Uh, you know, Google, when it went public in 2004, was already generating over $100 million in, in earnings and profits, Facebook over $200 million. And so, you know, it's, that's the same type of characters you would look for when investing in, in a company that, you know, that's already public and has been for years is, is profitability. So, if you have that added uh, characteristic, even better. Um, and 
it's important as well that when you're looking to invest in an IPO, which is very different from different types of investing that we we discussed last week uh, uh, in terms of whether it's arbitrage uh, in mergers and acquisition or simply identifying uh, companies uh, to buy uh, is, is that even though, you know, investing from a, a goal perspective is, is very much long-term, well, investing in IPO, I would say is long, long-term uh, for the reason that you, you, you're, you're participating in a company that's about to go public to where one of the reasons they're going public is to be able to leverage uh, uh, the potential within that company to grab market share, to, you know, to uh, uh, expand uh, its reach. And so you want to be able to participate in that. And if you sell, you know, in the short term, you're not really getting, you know, the, 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 the potential that the company uh, already uh, is looking for when it goes public. Uh, they're not just looking to you know, raise whatever money from, from that uh, public offering. It's the fact that they want to have access to other markets. Um, and going you know, public makes some of those much easier, uh, especially expanding internationally. And so you got to think really long-term uh, for, for uh, investing in IPOs and and so, you know, if you happen to participate uh, in, in Google, I mean, that's 16 coming up to 17 years now. And same thing with Facebook, uh, you know, eight, nine years uh, uh, coming up here this year. And then one of the things you have to accept, uh, unlike when you're looking for investment opportunities in, you know, in, in the stock market for companies that are public and have been public, is the fact that you you're investing in a, in a company stock that will be expensive. There, you're not, there's really no way around. You can't buy cheap during an IPO. Uh, it, it just doesn't go with the fact that, you know, the company wants to bid up uh, the price to be able to raise as much money as it can uh, in, in the IPO. And so it's built in that when you buy it at the IPO, it's going to be expensive from the standpoint of the stock's uh, price relative to, you know, its earnings. However, if you simply accept that, the fact that you're looking at this long, long term, over time, as the company's earnings continue to grow, that stock will get cheaper over time uh, because of you know, the company growing, grabbing market share, being more profitable, more efficient, if not even you know, growing its, its revenues uh, to go along with the growing earnings. The stock multiple for the price will get cheaper. So eventually you will, you will own a stock that becomes more attractive to other investors who are looking at this stock relative to others in the marketplace. Um, and so, you know, that's certainly a benefit over the long term. Now, when I, uh, when I was managing money professionally, you know, and I'll share this in, in our second segment specific case study example uh, of an IPO. You know, one of the things that I look for because I was managing other people's money, not, not just my own, uh, is a, there's more due diligence involved and, and as well as you know, fiduciary responsibility. You know, I was looking for uh, to participate in IPOs of companies that have been around a long time, not just you know, 
like a Google or a Facebook um, that have been around, you know, five, 10 years before they went public. So, you know, uh, example, these are rare, but it happens. Uh, so, you know, two specific examples um, would be UPS, United Parcel Service, when they went public on uh, early 2000s, you know, they've been around a long time. And, you know, that's a company that early on was also a category creator uh, with overnight uh, delivery and so on, like FedEx, uh, but, you know, had been private a long, long time that by the time they went public, you know, there's a long track record of their business operations and earnings. And certainly, uh, you know, they had great market share and also the brand name, but not anything close to being speculative relative to what you would think of a company going uh, uh, public initially. And then another one is MasterCard. Uh, uh, MasterCard uh, uh, been around a long time as well. Uh, is a, one of two uh, leaders in that category for electronic processing. Uh, and so, those are very ideal because those are large companies already when they go public, you know, uh, tens of billions of dollars uh, in, in market value versus, you know, maybe one, 200 million in market value for some companies when they first go, go public. And so, you know, those are much more stable companies and much more predictable in forecasting out uh, what, what the company uh, uh, and the stock uh, would be in the future. So not all IPOs uh, have to be with very small companies that, that are just, you know, getting started, if not even where they're not, they haven't generated any profits. You know, those are much more highly speculative. And so, you know, there's, there's the common myth about IPOs where these are small companies and, and yes, you know, they're growing uh, like weeds, but they're not generating much profits, if any. Certainly, prospect of them becoming profitable shortly after uh, becoming public, but that track record isn't there. And what I'm saying is that there are many opportunities and candidates of companies that you know, are much more stable, that have profits, already have a brand name, large market share, and you know, are still leaders uh, in, in their category in, in their industry. And so don't necessarily settle for you know, uh, what your typical IPO company is. Now, there are many uh, examples uh, recently of these types of companies uh, uh, that are small and eventually do turn profitable. And, and so, you know, in the shorter term, certainly have provided investors with, with a lot of returns, uh, but, you know, they're less predictable. Um, and so we'll talk about some of that uh, recently and also what, what's in the horizon here uh, in 2021 in our last segment. But, uh, you know, I want to, kind of go through a case study of a specific company that, you know, me and my firm participated in. Uh, This has been over 12 years ago now. Um, And to be able to see the results 12 years later uh, of, you know, a successful uh, IPO for for investors. 
and share a little bit of story of, of kind of you know, how, how that went about uh, the behind the scenes, so to speak, as well, uh, towards the end uh, of, of this episode. So when we come back from break, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this case study and kind of dissect, uh, you know, how at the time, what that looked like, not knowing what it was going to turn out to be, you know, years later. Uh, and obviously easier to, to, to look back, hindsight is twenty twenty. but there were a lot of things that, you know, this particular company checked off, uh, at least with regards to you know, the categories that I listed to look for uh, in an IPO. And uh, you'll certainly uh, recognize this company. Uh, so we'll be right back. I'm going to take a quick break. You're listening to All About Goals and this episode, part two of All About Investing. We'll be right back. Introducing Schwab Stock Slices. For as little as $5, now anyone can own companies in the S&P 500, even if their shares cost more. At $5 a slice, you could own 10 companies for $50 instead of paying thousands. All commission-free online. Schwab Stock Slices, an easy way to start investing or to give the gift of stock ownership. Schwab, own your tomorrow. Many Americans like yourself are carrying credit card debt. If you're only making minimum payments each month, it's costing you a lot in bad compounding interest over time. So how much of your debt actually gets paid off when you continue to make minimum payments? Unfortunately, not a lot. But there is a better way to make your credit card debt go away faster. Payoff.com is the best place to get rid of credit card debt. Don't overpay for life insurance. You can save up to 40% with PolicyGenius.com. They compare quotes from America's top insurers to find you the best value. Compare and save at PolicyGenius.com. Let's face it, everybody hates fees. Now, SoFi has no fees on personal loans. That's right, no fees on loans to remodel your bathroom. No fees on loans to consolidate your credit card debt. See? No fees just feels good. Booyah! If you've got the drive, you can do a lot with no fees on personal loans. Booyah! Are you putting off getting life insurance because you think it's complex, expensive, and time-consuming? Are you concerned about leaving your family unable to pay the mortgage, college tuition, and medical expenses? Ethos is life insurance the human way. You can apply in minutes online at ethoslife.com. A 35-year-old can get $1 million of coverage for only $50 a month with Ethos. Don't put off the decision any longer. Go to ethoslife.com and apply in just 10 minutes. That's ethoslife.com. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. All right. Thank you for listening to 
our show. Today's episode is part two of our series all about investing. I'm your host, Tom White. Uh, hope uh, you've uh, been able to benefit from some of the information that we provide on, on this show. Um, kind of recapping from last week, we talked about how to value companies, uh, uh, stock uh, presently and in the future to identify how much of a return, uh, you know, how to identify companies to invest in. And we also talked about uh, a specific strategy in investing uh, called arbitrage when one company buys another and how you know, that could generate uh, somewhat of a predictable return so long as that transaction uh, closes and completes and shared some stories of successful uh, transactions that we did there. Today, we're talking about investing in IPOs, an initial public offering, uh, when companies go public. And uh, in, in the previous segment prior to break, we talked about what are the, the things to look for to identify you know, a, a good candidate uh, to invest in that's going public. You know, one, being a category creator, uh, you know, a leader in its industry, um, so, uh, a company that already has a brand name when it goes public, and also already you know, having a large market share, but still with a much larger uh, uh, market to, you know, to, to expand into. And then profitability. Uh, if you can identify companies that are already profitable when it goes public, you know, much, much more predictable in terms of, you know, what, what it's going to do uh, once it goes public and has access to, to other markets. And then understanding that, you know, this is a long, not, not just a long-term holding, a long, long-term holding to really participate in the potential of that company uh, going public, which is one of the underlying uh, assumptions to companies when they go public is, is that you know, they're trying to unlock a lot of value and really trying to, to get the company to um, essentially uh, realize its utmost potential. And then the fact that when you buy an IPO, it's not going to be cheap uh, from the standpoint of what you're buying at a multiple of, of its stock price relative to its earnings. Uh, uh, there's no way around it. So, you know, it's, it's an accepted uh, assumption that you're, you're, you're buying uh, fairly expensive. But as time goes by, as the company's profits grow, you know, that multiple will go down and gets cheaper, which actually then uh, translates to a larger uh, segment of investors uh, finding that stock more attractive. Thus, you know, more investors buying it, which eventually leads to the stock price going up over time. Um, but, uh, you know, the myth that I wanted to kind of uh, debunk is that not all IPOs make money for investors. And so, that's why it's critical to have some of these criterias of what to look for. And also that the typical IPO company that probably most people, you know, have in mind are these small companies that are not profitable and, you know, just go public, raise money and, you know, uh, all the hype surrounding it is what drives up the stock. Well, that's not necessarily uh, uh, one, the type of uh, company that I, you know, uh, suggest to to invest in, but also that there are in fact companies out there uh, in the past that you know have been profitable, you know have 
hit all of the the boxes such as Google, Facebook, and and also uh, even more uh, older companies with more track records like UPS and MasterCard uh, that went public in the early 2000s that have been around for years. So in this segment, what I want to kind of go through is a specific company that I invested in and I invested uh, uh, in my firm uh, for my investors, uh, or rather uh, my clients that, you know, that I was managing money for. Um, this was in March 2008 when Visa went public. And just like MasterCard, just like UPS, Visa, you know, at the time in 2008, had been around for over 30 years. Uh, it had been a private company all that time. Uh, one reason is that Visa was owned primarily by member banks like Chase, uh, uh, Bank of America. They're the ones that, you know, that, that uh, uh, owned a good amount of Visa because they used Visa for processing you know, their credit card uh, uh, transactions. And you know, so looking at you know, Visa, how does it uh, you know, check the boxes of the criteria that I you know, just uh, kind of went through? One, certainly they were a category leader. Uh, in fact, you know, they were so large that their tra- transaction volume was uh, larger than MasterCard, American Express, and Discover combined. That's how big they were and dominant they were. And so, you know, in looking at Visa, uh, there weren't a lot of other companies out there uh, that had, you know, its its heft and, um, you know, its 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 scale. Uh, second, brand name. When uh, Visa went public at the time, uh, it was one of the most recognized brands in the world. Probably only uh, uh, surpassed by Coke and Disney. Uh, that's how you know ubiquitous uh, uh, Visa was, um, and you know even today, uh, you know everybody knows what Visa is, um, and so that brand name has not you know diminished at all. Even though there are a lot of other uh, uh, companies that have come into that category, and the category has expanded uh, from electronic uh, payment processing to you know different types of payment forms, which we'll talk about with. You know, uh, a couple other companies uh, that have gone public and also are planning to potentially this year. Um, now, the the thing that I liked about Visa, uh, and not a lot of people may know this in terms of how you know the company is viewed is is you know they make money simply by processing electronic payments, meaning to say that even though in you know your credit cards or debit cards you see the Visa logo. Visa does not uh, uh, hold any loans. So they don't have any risk at all related to loans. You know, if people default and so on, uh, or, you know, they don't make money on interest on loans. That's what the banks do. Uh, That's why, you know, they were were the member uh, uh, bank owners of Visa before they went public. So, you know, unlike American Express, which does hold the loans, Visa does not. So they don't have that type of risk. Now, when Visa went public in March of 2008, at the time, you know, they were looking to raise, um, let's see, about 
over, well, it was over 400 million shares uh, priced at $44 per share. So it was about an $18 billion uh, initial public offering, which at the time was the largest uh, around the world. Um, so it was not a small IPO. In fact, uh, not only was it the largest, but it was also one of the most oversubscribed, meaning to say that there was more demand for participation in this than you know, they had shares for. Uh, and so, one of the things that I'll share later on uh, uh, is kind of the behind the scenes of how we prepared as a firm for this because, and, and how we were able to participate is, is we were clearing or, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the companies that, that uh, you know, we used for managing our clients' money was TD Ameritrade. Uh, that's who we cleared through. And they were part of this syndicate for Visa. That's how we were able to participate. But just because uh, we cleared through TD Ameritrade did not mean that it was automatic that uh, we would get shares. In fact, you know, we didn't know until 30 minutes before the market opened that day, how many shares we were going to get. And it was really, uh, uh, you know, uh, required a lot of preparation because we had identified which clients we thought, you know, it would be appropriate for, who could participate, you know, how much, uh, of their portfolio uh, uh, we were going to allocate to this IPO and you know, not knowing until 30 minutes before the market opened exactly how many shares we would get and then how that would be divvied up across our client base. Uh, you know, we, we had multiple scenarios uh, prepared and uh, you know, so it made it you know, quite uh, you know, interesting and, 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 and very you know, uh, just very dynamic uh, in terms of how all that came together. Uh, and, you know, glad to say it all worked out, uh, which we'll, we'll get into uh, uh, in terms of, you know, 12 plus years later, what, what uh, this looks like. But when Visa went public, it went public at $44 a share. Now it's split since then. And so, you know, anybody who, own, who owned it at, at uh, the IPO is actually at $11 per share. Today, I think, uh, especially uh, at the end of market close today, Visa closed either at or around $220 a share. And that's, you know, that's an over 18 times return on that. And so this is where I'm talking about, you know, long, long, you know, term holding. And part of the basis for investing in Visa, other than, you know, what we talked about with a category leader brand name uh, and so on is that you know, where Visa really hadn't uh, expanded prior to that was internationally. I mean, it was in Europe. It was only starting to grow in Asia and Africa and the Middle East. And that was the potential that we saw. And you know, since then, uh, you know, when they, when they were, uh, first went public, they were growing at 14 times, uh, um, you know, a year annual compound rate of return. You know, if you if you did the math on on the the stock price, you know, that's over a twenty six percent annual rate of return over twelve years. And you know, when they were uh, uh, going public at the time, you know, they only had about one point seven. Well, not only, but at the time they had one point seven billion cards issued. Yeah. Now that's you know that's many times today. In fact, their transaction volume are, are, you know, 
in the trillions uh, in terms of the number of transactions. And that's what we were you know, looking for and anticipating, knowing that you know, cash is no longer king in terms of, of especially uh, with apps uh, that can transfer money and so on. Rare does anybody really carry cash around? And so it's, it's that trend that we were trying to participate in. And Visa definitely has not only participated, but very much benefited from that. Um, and so, you know, that was part of, of, you know, the kind of the, you know, the thesis for investing in Visa at the same time, knowing, you know, this is as stable of a company as, as we could expect uh, going public. And so it may not have been a completely a no brainer, but it was pretty close. Uh, and yet, you know, we still had to do the homework and part of that homework. So, when, when you look to invest in an IPO, first of all, you, you have to uh, know what brokerage firm, you know, is, is uh, uh, letting or allowing or, you know, uh, uh, enables its, its, its uh, clients to participate in, depending on who, what, what companies are, are part of the syndicate for the public offering. Like I said, TD Ameritrade, who we cleared with, uh, participate in the Visa IPO. So that's how, that's how we got in. Um, so you need to, to do your research on that. But in terms of analyzing the companies going public, you request what's called an S1. That's the actual document. You know, now it's 200 plus page document typically, uh, but that's, that's the prospectus for an IPO. And so, you know, I'll share the story of how I went about uh, uh, reading that over the course of about three weeks uh, prior to decide as to whether we were going to participate in, in it or not. Uh, but that's what you, you request, and that's readily available. Uh, you know, anybody can request an S1. It's a matter of can you actually participate based on you know, what, what accounts you have at which brokerage firm. Uh, and you know, with Visa... We weren't so much concerned about its growth. It was more about if new technologies came about in the meantime that would severely disrupt. And we knew that eventually, you know, technologies are going to come about, uh, but they were so dominant that, you know, they also had the, the pricing power with a lot of smaller competitors to either buy them out or, you know, or, or invest uh, in those. And, Visa certainly has done that uh, with, you know, with other smaller companies. Uh, but we knew that, you know, this is a really a once in a lifetime opportunity. You don't see a lot of visas are going public, uh, like I said. Um, and so, you know, here we are 12 years later, generating an 18 times return uh, for, for our clients, 26% annual rate of return. Uh, certainly, there are many others that have done better than that, you know, Amazon and so on. But, you know, you compare the, the, the certainty and uncertainty levels of looking at Visa going public versus an Amazon. Uh, you know, I, I, I slept better at night uh, with, with knowing that uh, we participated in Visa uh, at its IPO and never, never looked back. And, and uh, uh, so that's something that, you know, you got you to gotta look for. Uh, it doesn't happen every year, but it happens. Uh, just as it happened with UPS, just happened with MasterCard. And, you know, there are other examples of companies uh, that size uh, that have, uh, you know, gone, gone public. I mean, more recently, even though 
this is a much harder uh, IPO to have participated in, but uh, the largest oil company in the world, Aramco, uh, the Saudi Arabian uh, oil company, went public. Now, their shares are not traded on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, uh, so it's a much more limited uh, you know, audience. But once again, you know, it was just based on dollars. Uh, it was it's the most profitable company in the world, um, but doesn't didn't necessarily translate to you know the best returns just because uh, the volume of the shares being traded is not what you know you would equate for such a large company. Now, recently we've had you know big name companies as well going public. Uh, such as Airbnb, DoorDash, uh, you know, the, these are mostly technology companies as well, um, uh, or you know, technology cap- capable companies um, that make their their uh, services and products uh, uh, accessible, and Uber as well, uh, being and and Lyft, and so. That tends to be the trend these days, and we'll talk about, you know, after the break, you know, what other companies uh, we're looking at uh, to participate in IPOs this coming year that, you know, maybe should be in your radar or at least consider, if not, you know, understand uh, how, how the whole IPO process works with, with these companies. There is one particular IPO that never happened uh, that, you know, was much anticipated and was projected to be the largest IPO ever to date. And that was Ant Financial, uh, um, run by Jack Ma that also uh, uh, owns Alibaba, a Chinese uh, company. And, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, happens once in a while where uh, Governments and regulations end up, you know, pending an IPO, and so not sure if that's going to happen uh, later this year, if not next year. But that was one of the most anticipated ones uh, in 2020 that never happened. So when we come back, we'll talk about uh, what what the IPO calendar uh, looks like in 2021, and I'll share uh, uh, an interesting story about uh, when I was researching uh, uh, the Visa IPO. We'll be right back here listening to All About Goals and this episode, part two of All About Investing with IPOs. We'll be right back. Introducing Schwab Stock Slices. For as little as $5, now anyone can own companies in the S&P 500, even if their shares cost more. At $5 a slice, you could own 10 companies for $50 instead of paying thousands. All commission-free online. Schwab Stock Slices, an easy way to start investing or to give the gift of stock ownership. Schwab, own your tomorrow. Many Americans like yourself are carrying credit card debt. If you're only making minimum payments each month, it's costing you a lot in bad compounding interest over time. So, how much of your debt actually gets paid off when you continue to make minimum payments? Unfortunately, not a lot. But there is a better way to make your credit card debt go away faster. Payoff.com is the best place to get rid of credit card debt. 
don't overpay for life insurance, you can save up to 40% with PolicyGenius.com. They compare quotes from America's top insurers to find you the best value. Compare and save at PolicyGenius.com. Let's face it, everybody hates fees. Now, SoFi has no fees on personal loans. That's right, no fees on loans to remodel your bathroom. No fees on loans to consolidate your credit card debt. See? No fees just feels good. Booyah! If you've got the drive, you can do a lot with no fees on personal loans. Booyah! Are you putting off getting life insurance because you think it's complex, expensive, and time-consuming? Are you concerned about leaving your family unable to pay the mortgage, college tuition, and medical expenses? Ethos is life insurance the human way. You can apply in minutes online at ethoslife.com. A 35-year-old can get $1 million of coverage for only $50 a month with Ethos. Don't put off the decision any longer. Go to ethoslife.com and apply in just 10 minutes. That's ethoslife.com. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. All right. Thank you for listening to our show. Welcome back. You can follow us on Twitter at allaboutgoals one. That's at all about goals and number one. You're listening to our part two of our series on all about investing. Uh, in in the previous segments, we talked about what uh, constitutes you know, a good company to consider in in an IPO. Uh, what characters to look for. And uh, in the last segment, we specifically talked about uh, a company that I invested in uh, back in 2008, uh, uh, Visa, which at the time was the largest IPO, and um, you know, how Visa kind of checked all, off all of the boxes uh, that we were looking at uh, for uh, characteristics of a company going public. And you know, here we are 12 years later, uh, where you know, Visa has provided a 18 times return uh, to, to investors that participate in that IPO and have held on this whole time, uh, which translates to roughly a 26% annual rate of return. So, uh, you know, so there are um, success stories to IPOs, um, but, you know, once again, not every IPO uh, makes investors money. So you have to be selective and you have to know what to look for. Um, now, We've talked also about you know what companies recently have gone public, uh, and we'll talk uh, in this segment about what companies are potentially slated to go public here in 2021. To where uh, you know uh, if you've never invested in IPOs, uh, now that you kind of have a a basic uh, criteria, what to look for. You know, are there companies that uh, that you can apply this this process to? So we'll 
we'll talk about a few names uh, that you may or may not have heard of, but certainly uh, are speculated to go public this year. Um, so one is uh, is a brokerage, an online brokerage company called Robinhood. Uh, likely you've heard of this company recently uh, because of the whole frenzy around GameStop. Uh, uh, the company, you know, that uh, that resells video games, um, where its stock price, you know, jumped up, I think over even over a thousand percent in in a short period of time, uh, and it, it it was very much um, uh, a battle between institutional investors who had shorted that stock, uh, thinking it was going to go down because obviously their business model is is uh, is being challenged with a lot of gaming now being online versus, you know, people going to store and buying uh, the video games uh, and indiv- and specific individual investors who uh, essentially coordinated to, you know, to uh, uh, battle those institutional shareholders um, or investors. And Robinhood was the brokerage firm that these individual uh, investors, um, you know, invested through. And so Robinhood, enables you to invest uh, online through an app, uh, uh, you know, very easy. I mean, they're about democratizing uh, investing, uh, but that's led to certain things that, uh, that, that uh, you know, have made uh, some investors uh, lose a lot of money. Um, and so they're potentially going to go public here in 2021 uh, and you know, there are many other companies in that space uh, that you may have heard of as well. Uh, obviously, not uh, involved with the GameStop frenzy like Acorns, um, and one that I'll spotlight uh, today towards the end of the show uh, called Public.com. Um, you know, all investing has now become an app, uh, uh, trying to gamify. Uh, investing. And so there are pros and cons to those. Now, another company uh, that will more than likely this year go public and is is in the same kind of category as Visa is Stripe. It's a payment software company uh, where companies that, you know, private Companies as well uh, that process that you know process payments for their customers and so on would use Stripe to do that, uh, and so they've made it very easy, specifically for small businesses, uh, to be able to take payment you know via their website or you know uh, online and so on. Um, uh, and they've certainly uh, you know captured market share uh, with the ease of use of their software. Uh, versus, you know, with with Visa, uh, you you got to maybe ha- get the card reader and so on. You know, they've uh, they've eliminated a lot a lot of that, uh, especially with the equipment uh, needed. Another one is Instacart. Uh, this is an online grocery delivery app, and they've benefited a lot from what's been going on with with the pandemic, with you know social distancing, as well as uh, you know, where. A lot of people, particularly even elderly, uh, who you know don't want to have to go to the grocery store, can simply use Instacart to order uh, their groceries and have it delivered, um, you know, to to their front door. And so, uh, 
the flip side is that Instacart also, as a result, then, um, you know, engages uh, uh, people in the gig economy to be the ones to, you know, uh, have, you know, generate income by being a personal shopper for somebody that's ordering their groceries. And so it provides benefits uh, on both sides uh, of, you know, of that transaction. And another one is, is impossible foods. Uh, So the trend towards, you know, plant-based meats, uh, you've had a company in that category already go public called Beyond Meat. They went public in May of 2019. Impossible Foods is, is uh, uh, a direct competitor and, you know, is on the list uh, this year. And so you've got these, you know, once again, kind of category creators with regards to, you know, Instacart, Impossible Foods, uh, Robinhood in a sense is with the online uh, app. Stripe, not as much, but certainly, uh, you know, they, they uh, have captured a good segment of that market uh, uh, space within that subcategory. Uh, and so, you know, so that's one of the things, you know, we talked about and looking for, looking for companies that are creating new models uh, uh, with their service or product, as well as in terms of, you know, generating revenue. And then, you know, looking at brand name, uh, uh, for, uh, for good or bad, Robinhood certainly now has, has that brand name. Well, they also had a, um, uh, they spent money in a super, uh, during Super Bowls for an ad, uh, to get their you know, name out there. Um, and, and so, you know, as to profitability, that's something that's still to be, you know, determined, uh, when they release their S1 to really see where they're at, um, and, you know, if you participate in any IPO, once again, you know, like I've said, it's a long-term holding. It's something that, you know, that you got you to gotta participate in as that company you know, expands uh, into other markets. Now, there's a new kind of vehicle or trend uh, in the last year that's becoming more and more common for people to participate in an IPO, but not indirectly. Uh, it's kind of like you know the concept of a mutual fund investing in stocks through a mutual fund versus buying individual stocks, and that and in this case there's called SPACs, S P A C, uh, which you know uh, which stands for a special purpose acquisition company, and basically it's a it's an entity that's created uh, by you know, uh, high net worth or institutional investors to pull money from qualified investors to then invest in IPOs. And so that's becoming more common uh, for people to, to invest in. Now, the, the downside, in, uh, or rather the difference, is that in participating in SPACs or investing in SPACs, you don't necessarily know what companies they're going to invest in at the IPO. You know, the money is pooled, uh, to be able to have the the resources to invest in an IPO, but you won't know uh, what IPOs they're targeting versus having an opportunity to invest directly in you know a specific company at IPO. Now this is a this is a an alternate way if you don't necessarily have the opportunity to participate in a specific company's IPO. So you know that's that's the 
the, the positive of it. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if you've never heard of a SPAC, uh, uh, that's, you're going to hear more and more of it. So as we close up uh, our, our episode today, uh, I, I want to provide a spotlight on one company, uh, a product, it's, and it's public.com. It's, and it's an app where, you, where you're able to invest. And their specific kind of differentiation is that it's, it's a social investing app where people share what companies they, they've invested in. Uh, so, you know, you build up your cred uh, as an investor over time and have people follow you or, you know, get ideas from others on what to invest in. And, you know, for, for me, I say it's, it's good for somebody starting off investing. Uh, one, so that uh, you get to see what others, but also because you can invest incrementally, meaning to say, uh, and I've mentioned this uh, in a previous episode, uh, uh, spotlighting uh, Schwab stock slices, where in public.com as well, you can invest as little as $10 in one stock. And, you know, this is helpful for, for starting investors, smaller investors, because a lot of stocks, you know, from Google to Amazon, you know, uh, the, one share is worth over $1,000. So, you know, you got to have at least that much money to buy one share. And if you don't, you, you can't buy that, that stock. Public.com enables you to buy, you know, one-tenth of one, you know, one share uh, with, you know, with smaller amounts. Uh, now, they're only available in, in an app. It's not, you know, through, through a website. So, you'd have to download their app. Uh, so that's our product spotlight for today. Let me share a story about the uh, behind the scenes story about how I, uh, um, uh, researched, uh, visa. Like I said, to research a company going public, you got to request this S1, which is several hundred pages. So back in February of 2008, that's exactly what I did. And I made it a routine that every morning before going in the office, I go to the Starbucks uh, uh, in my town. And for about half an hour to an hour, I would read, you know, several pages of the S1. And so it got to be so routine that I would go in, you know, I'd order my coffee. Uh, I'd go in unshaven, dressed in sweatpants, sweatshirt and baseball cap. Because uh, I, you know, I was doing it well before I'd uh, go in the office, and I just read there, and it got so routine that when I'd go in, the baristas there would already know uh, who I am, and you know, I didn't even have to order; they'd already uh, set me up with my drink. Well, the day that I was, uh, the day of the IPO, like I said before. Uh, we had to be prepared because we didn't know how many shares we were going to get until 30 minutes before the market open, uh, open. And so I decided to go in early. And on the way in, I stopped at the same Starbucks, but this time I was dressed in a suit. And when I went up and it was my turn uh, at the front of the line, they didn't recognize me uh, because I was in a suit. Uh, and so, you know, they had to take a second look. And finally, they said, oh, you know, they recognized me and they started to guess what job I had based on my suit. And first they said, ah, I know, you know, you're a banker. I said, no, I'm wearing a black suit. You know, bankers typically wear a blue suit. And they're, and, uh, they're like, you're an attorney. I said, no. And then finally, 
one of the other guys said, I know you sell suits. I'm like, no, man, I don't. So, you know, that kind of ended up becoming a joke that after the IPO, you know, several days later, I went in back in and, you know, I was back to my sweatpants, unshaven baseball cap. And when I got to the front of the line, when they saw me, they said, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? They said, you must have lost your job. I said, no, man, it's Saturday. And so, yeah, that, uh, that was a memorable exchange, uh, getting, talking about how I invested in, uh, in Visa. Next week, we're going to talk about buying down. Thank you for listening to All About Goals. I'm your host, Tom White. Happy achieving. Thank you for tuning in for this week's edition of All About Goals. Please join Tom White and another guest next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you achieve your financial goals one program at a time. 